Thank you again, Mary. Appreciate it very much. Well, I do apologize for scaring everybody so much last week, but it turned out that it was uh, um, been working on adjusting my medications, and it looks like I got dehydrated. And once they got some fluids back in me, why well, I was feeling pretty good. <clears throat> it was, uh, the most amazing thing to me of all of that was uh, when we got to the urgent care. My blood pressure was 75 over 56. That was the first reading. And believe it or not, I was smiling and feeling really good at that time. <laughs> I don't know what it was before that and how low it got, but it, it apparently it dropped even below that. And uh, so that just kind of put it all in perspective. I didn't realize 75 over 56. You know, I noticed them reading it, and then it made it to 76, and then finally went to 77, and I was sitting there talking to Janet and feeling pretty good about it all. And it wasn't until later on I realized how bad that could have been, how low that was. So appreciate your prayers uh, getting me through that. I had I stayed home all last week, didn't go to work at all. Well, I went in and took care of some things I had to do, but then I came home and just rested all week. Now, when I got dismissed from the emergency room, they gave me three instructions. They just said, go back to your original medication what I was on before they adjusted it. And then they said, um, rest and eat nutritiously. I thought that was pretty simple. So I I went home and rested, and, and I did pretty good. I got a lot of rest this week, and I feel a lot better, and I, I'm grateful for that. I still don't feel real strong yet, though. The thing about the PET scan on Tuesday is <clears throat> that's an additional beyond the CT scan that I had a couple weeks ago. And that is related to the size of my aorta. It's enlarged. And so there's possibility of surgery there. Um, you know, if that PET scan shows whatever they're looking for, you know, then, uh, you know, there's always the prospect of that. So I'm just letting you know about that ahead of time. Pray that um, <clears throat> I not have to do such a thing. I'd rather not do surgery. I found out after two or three of these, I don't much care for them. I'd rather not do it. Now, the really great news we heard this week, I found out Friday night, Charlie, you were sleeping. When I said Charlie, he went like this. He was nodding over. Ha! Huh. Well, you'll appreciate this. My 80-year-old mother got saved. Can you believe that? Now, let me tell you. Earlier last week, after this episode, you know, I called my mom to tell her what was going on and all this. And, you know, she's still a little emotionally on edge about my dad's home going and all that sort of thing. And, and so she had made the comment. She said, I said something about, well, we pray for you, mom, or whatever. I don't remember. And she said, well, I pray for you guys, too, every, every evening, every night, and every morning. And I said, oh, that's great. You know, I'd never heard my mom talk like that before. And, uh, but I didn't say anything more about it. And then my sister called Friday night. And we were, she was asking about me how I was doing. And, and I'd mentioned to her about mom saying she prayed, you know, every night and every morning. And my sister said, well, she meant it too. And I said, well, damn it, I never heard mom talk like that before. And, and my sister said, well, she's got saved. And I about blew me away. I said, she what? 
you've got to be kidding me. How'd this all come about? And, and I said, when did this happen? And she said, well, about two weeks ago. And I said, you, and you didn't call me and tell me till just now? My sister, she goes, well, I just didn't get around to it. So I called my mom Saturday morning and I asked her, about, you know, I brought the subject up. I said, mom, what, what about all this? And just to be a, a word of encouragement to all of you is that when my dad died, somebody, and she's going to go back and find out for me. She didn't know it at the moment. And sending a sympathy card had included a, apparently a, just either a tract or some gospel literature of some kind. And she said, I just did what it said. She said, I read it and I prayed that prayer. <clears throat> and uh, she said, then it said to make it known publicly. So she said, I told my sister. She told Jan, my sister, about it. Of course, that's that died right there. My, she didn't tell anybody apparently. I was upset with her about that. So anyway, it was exciting anyway. I was, ex- I was excited. I can't hardly wait now. I can just each time, you know, I'm going to ask my mom a little more about it. And I want to find out who sent this gospel track in that sympathy card. But just to, as a means of encouragement, to, and I know a lot of you do that sort of thing, uh, that she read that and it was through that, whatever it was, that uh, she trusted the Lord. So you can't imagine, if you just don't know, you know, my family background, you don't know my mom, you don't know what a miraculous thing that is. And so we're excited, and I couldn't wait, told my kids, my wife, and all, and we just, what? Wow, I mean, everybody was shocked, <laughs> you know, that uh, she had trusted the Lord, 80 years old, so we're grateful for that. Well, we've got a special guest here. Like I said, I still wasn't really strong this week, and my wife just about was going to shoot me even for coming to church today, let alone preach. So I got uh, Uncle Jeff here to come preach for us this morning. Now, Jeff is from a Hoosier also, Charlie. Charlie's married to a Hoosier. That's why he's doing as well as he is. Uh, and um, now Wanda, Wanda's from Pearson. Pearson's just about 20 miles from where I live, Jeff. Jeff is from Wanamaker, down around in the Indianapolis area. Yeah, everybody would know that, though. Why would I have to tell you that? Huh? So, Jeff, uh, we used to talk, you know, a good bit, and we were chit-chatting one day about something at prayer meeting, and uh, I don't know, I just got the hanker, and I said, I've got a book I think he would like, and I told him about it, and I gave it to him, uh, called The Reign of the Servant Kings. It's the one I told you that had such a powerful impact on me. And I gave it to Jeff, and of course, it took him about a third of the time to read it that it took me, but... Uh, he flew through that thing and uh, said, yep, that's what I believe right there. And so we, we've been sharing gospel, kingdom gospel truth ever since. And he's been, since I left the Brian Bible Seekers class, he and a couple of other guys have been sharing teaching responsibilities. Uh, but Jeff is also, out of those three teachers, Jeff is also a preacher. He can, he can preach, so... I've got him up here this morning. I want you to go ahead and come on up, Jeff, and you can give him a Community Baptist Church welcome if you would. And then just in case you don't know, the Smith, that's his daughter sitting right there by my wife that comes to visit on a pretty regular basis too. And if it wasn't for grandbaby Mia being sick this morning, his wife would be here with him. All right, Jeff, we're looking forward to this. He stole some. I was going to give him a little background there. I might embellish it a little bit. I'm pretty good at that. Pretty good at that. 
embellishing stories is what I've been told. I'm a Hoosier by birth, so uh, but when I go back to Indiana, they say, well, you got that southern drawl. When I'm down here, they say, you're not from around here, are you, boy? So I guess I'm a man without a true accent anymore. I don't have the Hoosier accent, but uh, I do say wash a lot of times still instead of wash, which I heard some Hoosiers use that term wash. My mother always corrected me, even though she's a Hoosier, but uh, anyway. Well, there you go. We're just full of Hoosiers. So, uh, I went over there and started the Sunday school class. I was taking the prayer requests, even though it wasn't my turn to teach this morning. And uh, the teacher, Mark Summers, this morning's teacher, he had his brother-in-law was in town. He's from Kokomo, Indiana, so he was there visiting the Sunday school class. So we just got a bunch of Hoosiers here. I moved to Chattanooga when I was 14, but I uh, still consider myself a Hoosier. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I guess one of the Yankees that didn't move back or something, so we won't use the colorful term that the contractors told me when I was in the... I was in sales for like 18, 20 years in the construction equipment rental industry, and I'd go around, and they were the ones that'd say, well, you're not from around here, are you, boy? because I didn't talk with the southern drawl, and so I'd tell them I'm from Indiana, and then they'd call me one of those blank Yankees that didn't move back after he moved down here. So, But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's good to be here. I miss Miss Allen and Janet. Not Seth, really, but... But, uh, yeah, we had got... Uh, we'd met, met way back in the... Uh, I guess early 80s, when they'd come back from the field and were at Grace Baptist over there, played a little softball together back when we could both play softball. <clears throat> I was glad he, he told me it was sort of casual here, and uh, I don't wear a lot of suits and ties, and I went ahead and tried to put a suit on, and all my suits and sport coats have shrunk since I wore them, <laughs> wore them the last time, so uh, I went with a tie and a sweater, you know, Sweater sort of stretches around the uh, the area there that I couldn't fit into my old suits or my sport coats or blazers or so. But uh, yeah, so if you do what? Yeah, yeah, I could fit the sweater on. <clears throat> I was gonna. I don't usually title uh, my Sunday school lessons. We've been in Revelation for the last several weeks, and. Uh, I was just thinking about speaking over here, and of course you can't go through all of uh, what we've talked about, uh, but uh, my dad always used the term, and I, was, I thought I'd use it for in an opposite fashion for the, the message, but uh, when I was younger, and I'd, I'd want to know what uh, him and mom were talking about, if they were in some discussion or whatever, and I was always a pretty, I was the seventh child of seven kids, so my parents were in their 40s when I was born, so. Dad's, uh, I worked on Dad's patience a little bit. <laughs> but I was always running around his feet wanting to know what was going on. And if he wanted me to get out of the discussion or whatever, he'd always say, Son, sometimes you've got to realize that uh, ignorance is bliss. So I don't know. I'm one of those uh, that the song leader was talking about. I don't know what it is to get old yet. So I don't have the maturity level of like Alan or somebody like that. But, but uh, so not too many people say that anymore, but ignorance is bliss, is what he would say. Of course, I'd have to wait till later to, when he uh, got done with his discussion to ask him what he meant by that. But uh, 
because I'd be like eight, and I'm like, ignorance is bliss. But I think he'd say it, so I'd go away and try to figure out what he meant. But today's message, I would say, if I had it, ignorance is not always bliss. (laughs) Because uh, as you guys know in here, there's two things, you know, man was created to rule. So, uh, obviously, uh, Satan is the original ruler, and he still is the ruler over this, this world at this time until his replacement comes on the scene, which he's already on the scene, but he's not ready to ascend his throne. But Christ will very soon, much sooner than a lot of people want to believe. Uh, the next, uh, next little thing on our calendar is to get raptured out of here. But uh, for, for men, you know, there's, there's two points in, in a man's life, or women, I'm talking to mankind in general, is that point in time when you believe, like Alan's mother at 80 years old, the simple gospel message that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And in Acts 16.31 it says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Simple gospel message. And at 80 years old, Alan's mother believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. The other thing that we got to have in the forefront of our mind is that that some time in the future, we're going to stand before Jesus Christ in judgment. And that's what a lot of, you don't hear much in most churches these days, is because they equate that simple gospel message and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's sort of like ending as an ending point. Well, everything's taken care of now, you know. And you're not worried about that future judgment because they equate your uh, salvation, your spirit salvation, with you know, making everything okay. So uh, we've been in Revelation. The first four chapters of Revelation are basically about the church. You know, in judgment in chapter two and three, your pictures of the complete church standing before Christ in judgment. And so we're just talking about uh, being an overcomer today. And when I say ignorance is not always bliss, according to the title, I uh, go to Grace Baptist Church, you know, and Alan and, and we're over there and we're in the Brian Bible Seekers class. All my kids went to Grace Academy, and I coach over there at Grace Academy. And there's another, uh, I know that you're a lot of talk, talk about football this morning, but <laughs> there's a, another Christian school in town that got in a little trouble with the TSSAA here in the last few months. And that's just the governing body of the Tennessee, it's called the Tennessee Secondary School Athletic Association. It's a voluntary organization. You don't have to be a member of it, but most all public schools are. And private schools like Grace or other ones can uh, pay your dues and become a member of the TSSAA, and then you, you can play for their state championships in football and basketball and baseball. And, uh, of course, when you pay your dues and say you want to be a member of the TSSAA, then you're agreeing to abide by their bylaws and their rules. Which, you know, in high school, even in college, but in high school you can't recruit, you know, kids from other school systems to come and play sports. And, uh, you know, then you got to abide by all the eligibility issues. But to shorten that, I mean, the, this one Christian school in town had uh, some of their boosters had been recruiting uh, players from other public schools to come over there and play uh, football and sports. At, and, and, of course, then they end up getting caught. And uh, TSSAA just sanctioned them with some uh, penalties here in the last couple of weeks. 
And so then uh, three of their administrators and, uh, and their attorney went on a, a radio station this past week and for an hour talked about how mean or how heavy the sanctions were and how uh, they, they didn't know all the rules and, and that the TSSAA shouldn't have come down on them so hard, you know, and it was that ignorance is bliss thing. We were ignorant of, of the rules and, uh, and uh, they shouldn't have sanctioned us. And basically they were just were, didn't want to admit guilt, which uh, obviously, is, you know, it's a black eye on all Christian high schools when something like that happens because this is a Christian high school and here they are caught cheating, basically. <laughs> but they didn't want to admit any guilt and now the administrators and their attorneys spent an hour on the radio, you know, talking about the Times Free Press writer wasn't fair to them when he was putting these articles out because he, and, and this and that and the TSSAA. But anyway, they spent an hour on the radio talking about how their ignorance of the rules should have you know, we didn't know the rules, so, you know, we should have got, you know, they shouldn't have penalized us, you know. So uh, that's the same thing. A lot of Christians in that future day, you know, they're going to think that, well, I, I, didn't have a, I didn't have a pastor that got up and taught me the kingdom truths. I didn't understand Jesus. Right? I didn't know that I was, you know, I didn't know that after I got saved, you know, I was supposed to live a life of uh, producing good works and attain my soul salvation. I was never taught that, you know. But ignorance isn't going to get us off there in that future judgment seat of Christ either. Because the Pharisees, remember, were the teachers of the law when Jesus came the first time, right? And they didn't do the job of teaching the, the nation of Israel either, right? Remember, Jesus gave the sternest rebuke to the Pharisees because he said, you shut up the kingdom of heaven before men. You know, you're not going to enter, and, and they're not going to enter because you didn't do your job. So ignorance isn't going get, get to get us off in the future because we didn't have the opportunity to sit in a church like this. Think of how the thousands of churches in Hamilton County or Catoosa or Walker, I can only name you three of them, they were Teach the kingdom truths. Right? This one being one of them, right? Community. Calvary Bible Church in Red Bank. And Faith Baptist up off Hickory Valley north of Highway 58. That's a pretty small percentage, wouldn't you think? <clears throat> and so you find out in Revelation, you know, in chapters 2 and 3, the seven epistles to the churches... They're put together in the sovereignty of God in a certain order. So you start off with the church of Ephesus. What did, what did uh, Jesus tell them about them that he didn't like? You want to turn to Revelation 2. Remember, the church of Ephesus had left their first love. Correct? <clears throat> but then you go all the way to the seventh church, which was Laodicea. Is anything good said about the church of Laodicea? Nothing. Remember after he told the church at Ephesus that they'd left their first love, but he said, I still have this for you. You guys hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And you, you, know, you hate the doctrine of Balaam. 
But then when you get to the seventh church, the church of Laodicea, there's nothing good said about the church of Laodicea. So God in his sovereignty put him in an order for a purpose. And you can see Matthew 13, the parables of Matthew 13 and Revelation 2 and 3 give you a history of the church, this dispensation, a progressive history. So you have Ephesians was left his first love, and Laodicea never had a first love. Nothing good said about it. What does he say about it? He says, you, you're, you, think, you think that you're rich and have need of nothing, but you're really poor and miserable and blind and naked. And he tells them that you go to the sellers and get gold, buy gold from me. Remember it says buy white raiment to clothe yourselves, buy salve for your eyes so that you can see. And at the end, there's always a call to repentance. All, four, all seven of the epistles are all structured in the same basic way. You have your introduction where they give a description of Jesus Christ as the judge. Then you have a call to repentance. Well, you have the, I know thy works, and then he tells you the works, and then you have a call to repentance. Then you have an ending to each one. That in Laodicea, he says nothing good about Laodicea, but he tells them that they think that they're rich. And what do you, what do you think about the church of today? Got all these churches, even in Hamilton County, building these $20 million buildings and, and doing all that so, you know, they, they can better, better uh, serve their community or basically it's trying to make them as comfortable as possible, I guess. But, and they try to, you know, lure, to, lure a crowd in by, you know, uh, you know but the opulence of their structures or, or this or that. But he says, Christ says, you're poor and miserable and blind and naked. And then at the end of that seventh epistle, he says, he stands at the door. And does what? Knocks. So where is Christ pictured as standing of his church? He's outside, isn't he? His church Right? But he's standing outside and he's knocking. But who, who's, who has to do what for him to come in? He said, if you'll open the door, I'll come in with you and sup with you. So there's still an opportunity for the church, but in prophecy, there's not going to be some great revival in the church, the worldwide church. There may be little pockets here and there, of people that receive the kingdom message or whatever and start to follow that. But uh, for the most part, it, it's, there's not even being great revivals anymore in the church. And Christ is actually pictured standing outside of his church, knocking on the door saying, hey, did you let me come in and be part of what you guys got going on in there? <clears throat> but the Laodiceans... It's just as we're in the Laodicean period of the church age. 
a church dispensation right now. <clears throat> and it's not going to be very long till uh, we're raptured out of here and then that peace treaty signed and the, the earth dwellers will start in the tribulation and we'll be up after we're raptured, we'll be up standing before Jesus Christ in judgment, which is what Revelation 1 through 4 pictures. The complete church from this dispensation standing before Christ in judgment. And we'll only hear one of two things, right? You're either being an overcomer or you're going to be overcome in this dispensation in your lifetime. You'll either hear, well done, now good and faithful servant, or you'll hear, Depart from me, you wicked one. <clears throat> and most any any Bible exegete wouldn't take that as him talking to an unbeliever, except for the harsh tone he takes in those passages in the New Testament. If he didn't take such a harsh tone, you know, I mean, there's nothing in the text or context that would, would even lead somebody to believe that he's talking to unbelievers there. But when he takes that harsh tone, then the, the, the people of the church don't want to think, well, I'm not going to hear. Believers aren't going to hear that kind of rebuke from Christ at the judgment seat. It's a, it's a reward ceremony. Everybody's going to get something, Right? But that's not any part of any teaching that I read in this, this book here, anywhere. That we're all, it's just because we get saved, we're all going to produce some fruit. <clears throat> so ignorance is not always bliss. We, we want to be overcomers. We want to hear that because you've got the seven promises on each epistle to, this, to the overcomers, right? So what does it take in this Christian life to overcome? Well, there's three main things that the Christian and his walk has to overcome. Right? Probably studied that before. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. So according, if we want to turn to 1 John, chapter 5. According to 1 John 5, the first few verses there, the world is overcome by our faith. 1 John 5, 1 through 5. I'll read that quickly. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Of course, I've heard... Uh, messages out of that passage before and once again a lot of preachers and teachers and people in the church take that as well if I'm born of God that means I got saved and then I'm automatically going to be an overcomer but that's not what that says 
says you got to keep the commandments of God. And if you if you look at it closely, there's three references to the Christian standing before God on his basis of his birth from above mentioned in those first verses of 1 John 5. Begotten of him in verse 1 is one of the references. And then born of God is used twice in verse 1 and verse 4. And in each instance, uh, the word for begotten, the Greek word for begotten is ganao. And they appear in the perfect tense in the Greek. And not to belabor or get too wordy here, but perfect tense calls attention to a, a work that's completed in past time in the Greek with the results of this work extending into the present time and existing in a completed or finished state. So that's talking about your simple salvation, your belief on the Lord Jesus Christ, and as those three references are all in the perfect tense. So that's a past event, remember? It was a work that was completed in the past, and it continues into the present, and it's in a finished state. So you couldn't do anything to get saved, right? Salvation is by grace through faith, not of works. So that's a completed past action. But then when you get to the word for overcometh, which in the Greek is nikao, which is a, a form of the word Nike, or what we know in the society today as Nike, the Nike Corporation, the original founder took that word as, which can be mean Victor also, and he used it for his uh, running shoe originally. <laughs> but uh, overcometh appears in the present and aorist tenses, and those tenses show action as continuous, ongoing, occurring. And they do not show a completed action in the sense that the perfect tense does. So an overcomer is one that continually is overcoming, right? That's never a completed, finished state like the, the word for being born of God or begotten, your initial salvation, your spirit salvation, that moment when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, as it says in Acts 16.31. And you were saved. The word for overcometh in the Greek is in a different tense altogether. And it just talks about continuous action. See, there are seven, seven feasts or festivals in the nation of Israel in the type in the Old Testament, right? And after the Passover, which occurred in Egypt, remember, they had to take an unblemished lamb and then they had to slay it, and then they had to apply the blood to the doorpost and lentil. And then when the death angel came over, he said, God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now what was the next festival or feast of the Jews right after the Passover? The feast of unleavened bread. Right? What is leavened? stand for in scripture sin or corruption right first mentioned principles right there at the Passover 
God told them after the Passover that they were supposed to eat unleavened bread for how many days? Seven days. Seven's a number of what in Scripture? Completion. So on the antitype in the Christian walk, after your Passover, after your believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, then in the antitype in the Christian walk, we're supposed to put the leaven out, right, for a complete period of time, which would be your complete life. You remember in Corinthians, in two different places, in chapter 6, it says all those things happened to them, happened to who? The nation of Israel, as an uh, example to us, which the Greek word they translate example is tupos, which is really a type or an example. So God in his sovereignty allowed all those things to happen to the nation of Israel in the type in the Old Testament, so then he could take those in his living word, and if we as believers would take this living word and he uses all those things to teach Christians who will take advantage of it the deep things of God for your walk. So after our Passover, we're supposed to put the leaven out for a complete period of time, which is your whole life. Continuous action to be an overcomer. Now, are we going to stumble? Yeah, I do all the time. But three is also a number in Scripture. That's God's number, right? And Jesus has three ministries that he's going to perform. He's already come as a prophet, right, in the past. And he's, right now he's, at, he's acting as our what? High priest. And then he's going to come back as the great king priest. So as it says in First John, we better avail ourselves of our high priest now because when we stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat, his high priestly ministry is over, right? Because where is he performing his high priestly ministry right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Where do we see him pictured in Revelation, the first four chapters there? He's standing in the midst of the seven churches, which is a picture of the complete church. And his whole description there is as a judge, not a priest. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father, acting as our high priest. And at that point in time, he's standing up in judgment. We're standing before him, and then you can't avail yourself of his high priestly ministry anymore. That's why Alan always talked about, and we always talked about when he was, you know, keeping short accounts with God. And that's why we named our class the Berean Bible Seekers, because the Bereans were more nobler than those in Thessalonica, because they searched the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. What things? things they just heard Paul preach. They didn't sit before Paul and just say, well, if Paul said it, that must be, you know what I mean? They searched the scriptures daily 
to see if what Paul was preaching was so. And he said they were more nobler than those in Thessalonica because they did that. And this, remember, it says to overcome the world by our faith. Well, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So to overcome the world, we do it by our faith. But to have faith, you have to be in this book. Because faith and believe come from the same root word in the Greek. Faith is the noun. Believe is the verb form of that word. So walking by faith is simply believing what God says and then acting upon it. That's walking by faith. But if you're not in this book on a daily basis... In grafting this word into your saved human spirit, then you can't draw upon this. So you can't walk by faith if you don't have this living word engrafted into your. I'm not used to wearing these. So, into your uh, into your spirit. Because you can't draw upon that. <clears throat> and the second thing we said we have to overcome is the flesh. Right? And according to Romans 8.13 and Colossians 3.5, the flesh is overcome by mortifying the deeds of the body, which emanate from an ever-present sin nature. Right? Mortify is an old old word. Nobody really uses that anymore. But basically it's putting to death the deeds of the, of the body. So if we turn to Romans 8.13. And then we'll, I mean, we can go to Colossians real quick too. But Romans 8.13. says, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit, which means if you're living by the Spirit, you are putting to death, or that old English word, mortifying. I'm out of the New American Standard here, so they use the more modern English there. But if you live by the Spirit, you're putting to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. Adam, man, Adam was created to rule, and Eve too, because remember it says, let them rule. But man was created to rule, and we were created to replace Satan, who is a fallen ruler, as you find out as you continue on studying the scriptures. But then, of course, Satan knew why man was created, so then he comes in, and uh, then man falls. So we're disqualified to rule. But unlike angels, God had a plan of redemption. So this whole book is really about redemption. God had a plan of redemption for man where he could come back into a position where 
he could rule because Romans eleven twenty nine says the gifts and calling of God are without repentance, which repentance just means a change of mind. God's not going to change his mind about his plans and purposes. And his plan for man when he was created was to replace Satan and rule. Remember the Hebrews, it says the world to come or the ages to come are not going to be subject to angels. Man's going to rule. God's not going to change his mind. So he had a plan of redemption in, in place already from the foundations of the world for man. Whereas angels, there's no plan of redemption for angels. <clears throat> but man was created in God's image and likeness. And God's a tripart being, right? So is man. They have a spirit, soul, and body, and they all have to come under salvation, right? Your spirit saved. Of course, what died in the garden? Man's spirit. So when you get saved, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it says your spirit is quickened, which is an old English term for made alive. And then your soul has to get saved, and that's an ongoing process, as we talked about the tenses in Greek there in 1 John. Overcoming is an ongoing process. So your soul can either undergo salvation during this life or it has to do in the life to come, the age to come. I mean, you can either die to self now to live, have life in the kingdom, or you can live for yourself now. You can save your life now, and you'll lose it in the age to come. Romans eight thirteen, Colossians three five, basically says some of the same things, but. The flesh, the man of flesh, or the solical man, is under the penalty of death, right? Just said that right there in Romans 8.13. You want to go to Colossians 3.5. It says, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. So the man of flesh, the solical man, is under a penalty of death. But see, once, once we were saved, and in the type in, the, in, the, in Genesis chapter 1... Remember it said, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth became without form and void. Then it said, the spirit moved, God spoke, and what came into existence? Light, right? And then there, God did what between the light and darkness? He made a separation. So in the antitype, in our existence, at that moment of belief, remember the spirit moved, right? And then at your moment of belief, God spoke and light, and who is the light? Jesus Christ. Light came into existence, and then there's a stark separation between the light and the darkness, right? 
In Genesis chapter 1, was there anything good said about darkness? Only the light did he call good. There's nothing, ever, there's nothing good said about darkness in Genesis. So when you're saved, you know, your spirit is quickened, and then there's a separation between the light and the darkness. The, the solical man and the spiritual man. And then during our Christian walk, there's going to be a constant warring of those two. So to overcome the flesh, we have to put to death the deeds of the body. And once again, to do that, you have to walk in the Spirit. Just like we were talking about walking by faith, you know, in your faith overcoming the world, you have to walk in the Spirit, which is the same as walking by faith. To put the deeds of the body to death, mortify them, to be an overcomer. And that's a daily thing. Then, third thing that we must overcome is the devil. Remember old, I am old enough to remember the, uh, I don't now his name just escaped me because I was, <laughs> the black comedian that had the uh, nighttime uh, show on, years, always talked about the devil made me do it or whatever his name was, Flip Wilson, yeah, anyway, a lot of people, that, oh, the devil made me do that, you know. There's probably a little more truth in that than you, than, you know, than, than his joking about it was. But uh, according to James 4, 7, we'll turn to James and 1 Peter 5, 9. The devil is overcome by resisting him. James 4, 7. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You go on to verse 8, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Verse 10 says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. And of course, James, as like any other epistle in the New Testament, is basically about the salvation of the soul. Remember what it says about the man of flesh. If you go back to the man of flesh, the natural man doesn't understand, cannot know, the Greek word gnosis, cannot know these things because they're foolishness unto him. So this whole book, especially the New Testament epistles, but this whole book was written, you know, for, for believers, you know. Not for unbelievers. An un, unsaved man who's Spirit is dead, all he can do is what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The simple gospel of the grace of God message. And then his spirit is quickened before he can ever come into attempting to be an overcomer and understanding the, the, the word of God. He first has to believe. So, over, the devil is overcome by resisting him. If you go to 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9.
Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith. There's that word again. Remember how you overcome the world? By your faith. So really all these threes are sort of interconnected, right? Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory or age-lasting glory in Christ will himself complete or perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The suffering always precedes the glory, right? When Christ was here on his earth, it was his time of his suffering. Time of his glory still in the future. Remember, if if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, which is really just offered, if we do, we if we refuse to suffer with him during our life here on earth, then he will deny us before the Father. You'll hear that: "Depart from me. I never knew you." And of course, he never knew you in relation to what is talked about in the context, and that's either overcoming or not overcoming. Obviously, Jesus Christ is God, so he's omniscient, so he. He knows everyone, but see a lot of a lot of uh, church people, pastors, teachers try to say, "Well, that's talking to an unbeliever." He said he never knew them. Well, no, stay in the context. He never knew them in relation to what they're talking about there, and that's either an overcomer or not overcoming, taking the wide road or taking the narrow road, which is also not talking about either going to heaven or hell either. Talking to believers in that whole passage there. So I want to be an overcomer. I want to hear that well done, thou good and faithful faithful servant. Remember, Paul said, I put my body under subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway, which is an old English term again. The Greek word there is from the root word dokimos, which would be what we translate qualified, but they put an A in, the A in front of it, the alpha, and it negates that. So the word there for castaway is adakimas, which means disqualified. So the apostle Paul was worried about being disqualified. Now that was early on in his ministry. Now when he got to get to Second Timothy, which is one of the last books he wrote, remember he told Timothy what? I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Which can be to everyone who loves his appearing. See, it's conditional. Once again, you you read part of that and then preachers get up and talk about it. You know, Everybody, you know, there's five different crowns mentioned in Scripture, but, you know, you've heard messages, I'm sure, in the past, but 
they talk about, you know, somebody's going to get one or two crowns, somebody else might get four or five, and all that. But uh, stay in context there, Paul, like I say, early in his ministry, kept his body under subjection. He was worried about preaching to somebody else and then being disqualified himself. But then by the time he'd walked his walk for decades, he told Timothy to preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. And he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. The owe to live the life of Paul where we can feel confident that we're going to hear that well done, now good and faithful servant at the judgment seat of Christ, which is coming up pretty quick. But I appreciate Alan giving me the opportunity to come over here, uh, pinch hit for him. I walked. I usually don't wear. I usually go pretty casual to uh, to uh, Sunday school there. But uh, I came in this morning with the tie and then the sweater to cover up my belly. And uh, one of the other guys said, "Man, you're all dressed up today, Jeff." I said, "Well, I gotta go pinch hit for Al." And he went, "Pinch hit for Al." That's too many, uh, too many uh, sports references there. But I appreciate that, and I appreciate your attention, and uh, let's be overcomers. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate that. And um, we want to just have a brief word of invitation, give you an opportunity to come if you'd like this morning. Grateful for Jeff taking the time to come over and be with us this morning. And, uh, you know, this whole issue of being an overcomer, uh, it's an important one. If we don't, you know, then that's when we're going to walk away with our heads bowed in shame. Or we may be the ones spewed out of his mouth, you know, at that, that point in time, at the judgment seat of Christ. We don't want to see that happen. All right, Brother Bob. Faith is the victory. Hymn number 324. In the red book, hymn number 324. Stand as the others were sing. Encamped around the hills of light, ye Christian soldiers rise. And press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies. Against the foes and veils below, let all our strength be hurled. Faith is a victory. be dismissed in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again for the privilege to fellowship together around your word, to be able to join our hearts and our souls together uh, because we, we believe in you and we trust in you. And we hold these promises dear to our own hearts as to what you're going to do for those who overcome. And I pray that we would be strong in faith and that we be diligently obedient and about those things you've called us to do. Bless us, Father, in our homes this week. Help us to be strong 
uh, each day to walk faithfully before you. In Jesus' name we pray.